Well, good morning and welcome to Livingstone's Church this morning. And I know that there's a lot of you uh, tuning in from our area. But you know, it's really exciting. We have people tuning in from Africa, from the Middle East, from Europe, from Asia. And I just want to greet you all. And some of you I know and some of you are new to us. So I'm so glad you've joined us here today. I'm going to have us stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. We have a number of people with us, just a, a limited number as we're following the protocols uh, set forth by the government. But I want to just say this, that we are so blessed in Alberta. We have one of the great expressions of religious freedom right now. Uh, even around the world, I've been in contact with our missionaries and people living in other parts of the world, and many of them are really restrained to actually staying quarantined in their actual dwelling places and only have an opportunity to go out and shop. So we are really have a lot of freedom here and we're so thankful for that. So Father, I want to just pray this morning as we open your word that you're going to speak directly into our hearts. And Lord, as we take a look uh, from these texts from the book of Proverbs, Lord, there are wisdom, this wisdom literature gives us insight and understanding of who you are and your ways and how we can practically apply uh, the life of faith. And so, Lord, I pray today as we are contemplating making significant decisions, as we are addressing issues in our world today, not only uh, COVID-19, but, Lord, the rioting that is happening uh, in, in our sister country across the border here south of us, the United States, Lord, all of the challenges around our world, many people in their personal life facing challenge right now, and the decisions that are laid before them. Father, as we hear this message today, may we gain tremendous insight in how we can walk in wisdom, how we can make wise choices that have amazing consequences and blessing. And we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, so often uh, we come to these junctions in our lives or junctures in our lives where we need to take a path to follow. And how many recognize that choices we make determine destinies? And I think this time of year for many young people especially, they're graduating from school and they feel some pressure to make significant decisions. Which school to attend for their future careers? which career to pursue, which job opportunity to take. And for those who are indecisive and do nothing, folks, I want to just say that is a choice and a decision in itself. But ultimately, there are many other significant decisions to be made on this journey called life. Where should I live? Who will I build relationships with? Will I marry? And if so, to whom? And all of these decisions have consequences, and some of these decisions are far more significant than others. Who am I listening to? Who can I trust? Who really cares about me? Are the people shaping my life even healthy? Are they the people I respect and I can learn from? Are they successfully navigating their own lives? It kind of reminds me of a luncheon I had a number of years ago. I was a young pastor back then and our church was really growing. And uh, I was in the West Coast and I had some friends that pastored a very large church. And so I asked the senior pastor if we could go out to lunch, and he brought his executive pastor, and that church was, you know, maybe three or four times the size of the one I was leading. And I asked him, I said, how do you care and help build community within your church family? And so the senior pastor said, I hadn't really thought about that, and he turned to the executive pastor. He says, how are we doing that? And he looked at the senior pastor, he goes, I don't really know. And I said, oh, I see. You guys are just confused at a higher level, you know? So sometimes 
that's what's happening when we're looking for direction. We just feel like we're all confused at some sort of a level. And are the people we turn to just as confused as we are? Probably one of the great people of the Bible is a man by the name of Abram, who later God changed his name to Abraham to reflect the promise that God had made to him when he changed his name to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. How many of that's an amazing statement when Abram didn't even have a child yet? Can you imagine what it must have been like for Abraham when he was living in a major urban center shaped by family and culture that had no idea who the true and the living God was. And all of a sudden there came a day when something significant happened to him and God appeared to him and called him to radically change the course of his life. You know, my prayer today is for some of you that that's gonna happen, that God's gonna speak into your life and call you and radically change the destiny of your life. And he sent Abraham on a journey, and that's the journey that many of us are on. It's a journey called a life of faith. And so in Stephen's speech that he brought before the Sanhedrin, the parliament of Israel at that time, he recalls the calling of Abraham by God. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 7 and verse 2, he said, To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And this was God's message. Leave your country and your people. How many of you know it's a pretty challenging thing to just relocate and come into a whole new world? God said, and go to the land I will show you. And so he left the land of the Chaldeans and he settled in Haran. And after the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. <clears throat> he gave him no inheritance here. So even though he gave and spoke that this land, they would be inherited by his descendants, Abraham, all he ever did was buy a plot of burial ground. And not even enough ground to set his foot on, but God promised them that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. How many think that's an amazing statement? He's saying a number of things that weren't the current reality. And so often in our lives, what we tend to focus on is our current reality. How many know that's true? We kind of are locked into our present circumstances and all the challenges that are before us, and yet God spoke into Abraham something he was about to do that Abraham had not yet experienced. What kind of life are you and I aspiring to? A life of faith or a life that is lived by what we see? And you know what often appears... Uh, well, let me go back here and just say this, that when, you, when Abraham responded in obedience to God's word and promises and acted upon them, God did exactly what he promised. And as a matter of fact, he is a model for every person who begins to follow God in the same way Abraham did, which is a life of faith. And listen to what Paul writes in the book of Romans, chapter 4 and verse 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace. In other words, it's a gift from God and may, not, and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those who were of the law, which is the physical descendants of Abraham, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham, he is the father of us all. In other words, when you and I come into a faith 
built relationship with God, we actually become children of Abraham. We're actually his descendants because we're embracing his kind of life. And so then I, I just ask the question, what kind of a life are we aspiring to? A life of faith or a life based on what we see and what we're experiencing? And I think what often appears durable and lasting can many times be simply tentative and perishable. It doesn't ultimately last. In contrast, there are things that may at first glance seem more tentative and less stable, but in the end prove to be eternal and durable. And so the Proverbs that we're gonna look at today are gonna really bring this out. And I love uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 11. It says this, uh, but the house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the righteous will flourish. Now, how many can see that there's a contrast being made between two groups of people, but also two types of dwellings? And you know, the house, which seems to be more durable, actually we're gonna discover is less durable than the tent of the righteous. Dr. Walkey says it this way, this proverb also implicitly teaches the disciple to walk by faith and not by sight. Paradoxically, the wicked's house is less secure than the upright's tent. Though outwardly it would appear that this house is more durable, the reality is the durability is determined by the character of the people living inside of it. In other words, character determines whether things endure or collapse, whether they flourish or not. And so we see that Abraham's faith, as described in the book of Hebrews, relates to this idea of a person who's living in a tent. And the tent actually speaks of someone. This is not an enduring location. As a matter of fact, when you think of a tent, you think of someone who's nomadic. You think of someone on the move, and that's exactly the life that Abraham had. And Hebrews chapter 11 brings that out. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. How many know that's a life of faith? God is telling you to do something, and you're just stepping out and following, and you have no idea where this decision is going to take you. But here's what we need to know. There's a security in following and obeying what God is asking us to do. Look at verse 9. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Now think about that for a minute. You see, Abraham had a vision that he was moving towards something that was eternal. As a matter of fact, his journey through this earthly life was not that important to him as long as he was following and obeying God. That's why I love the story in Genesis 13 where he says to his nephew Lot, you can choose any part that you want. And the Bible says that Lot, who was a godly person, chose by sight. And he could look over the land and he could see that, there was a, that Sodom was in a place that was actually flourishing. And so he made a choice based on what he perceived to be to his advantage. And Abraham was fine with taking whatever was left. And isn't it interesting that Lot, even though he made that choice, eventually rude the day he made the choice because he made an externally situational material choice 
which later we find out that Sodom becomes destroyed. Lot is rescued from there. The Bible says every day he lived there, his righteous soul was vexed. That's what Peter tells us. But Abraham, after walking away from Lot, what did the Bible teach us? That God appeared to Abraham and says, Abraham, everywhere you look, I'm going to give to you. So you and I will never shortchange our lives when we start walking by faith and obeying God's promises and watching how God takes care of our lives. You see, Abraham was looking for the only place in his mind that would be permanent, and that's where God dwelt. And so we see this amazing picture of pilgrimage as he's passing through this life. This world is not our final destination, and I'm thankful for that. You know, it's wonderful as the world in which we live. The goal of this life is that you and I are walking with God, looking forward to that day when we're going to have an enduring city. Isn't that a beautiful thought where God's presence dwells, where sin will be absence, there'll be no more plagues, there'll be no more restrictions, there'll be no more looting, there'll be no more rioting, there'll be no more injustice. Won't that be an amazing time? And you and I won't be dealing with challenges from within and challenges from without, and I love that. Now, I think far too many people, when we make decisions, we allow what we see to determine our decision making. But many times, like Lot, it's based on a material or circumstantial consideration. Many of us use human intellectual prowess and we try to make a decision on what we understand at the moment, rather than trusting in God and being obedient to what he's asking us to do. And here in this context, we're reminded the folly of such decision-making. And so the very next verse, after 11, is verse 12. And it says this, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. What is confusing for most people making decisions, the idea that there's so many options and choices before them. And I, I believe that's a great illusion. Because you see, there's really only two choices. There's what God wants done, and then there's all the other choices, which are really choices that we're making for ourselves. It's basically my will or God's will. And we have a choice to make. And the book of Proverbs is going to give us guidance and wisdom in the area of choice. And I think there are two foundational aspects in making decisions. And I'm hoping today that this message is going to help you become more clear in how to go about making wise, godly choices in your life and having amazing, godly outcomes. And so the first question is, you know, in my mind is, will we walk by faith or are we going to walk by sight? And so let's take a look at these two foundations. And the first foundational aspect of decision-making is simply to trust ourselves. And a lot of people are making it that way. Now, it's true that, each of, that God has given each of us a gift of volition or a gift of will. See, we're created in his image. We're made like God. And one of the things God does is God has the ability to choose. And God gave us that gift. How I many know it's kind of a dangerous thing to give somebody the ability to choose? Because you can make the wrong choice. And you see, I believe that God has allowed that to happen so that you and I can choose him and you and I can choose to love and you and I can choose to reject what's wrong. And so choice is a very important commodity. It's part of the DNA of being a human being. It's part of the DNA of being made in the image of our creator. Most of the decisions we make are influenced by many factors that are shaping our hearts and affecting our emotions and then we make choices. And you know, you and I have to live with our decisions because we're ultimately responsible for them. Even though we've been shaped by those who have parented us, those who have educated us, 
our peers and our friends who have counseled us, and the various cultural expressions, such as coming from media and the movies and arts and music, and we either embrace those values or reject those values. And it's within that context that we create a way of looking at life. And so all of us here are biased and prejudiced. I think we just need to accept that. And we've been shaped. And we've been shaped by past experiences. We've been shaped by how we've been taught. And so we, we look at things in a certain way. And this is called a worldview. And every one of us has a worldview. And all of our worldviews can be a little different based on some of the things that I've just mentioned to us. And it is these things that define for us what we think it means to be healthy, to be happy, and to be successful in life. But let's take a look at our text again. I think it's important. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. It leads to brokenness. It leads to separation, not only from God, but from other people. It has negative consequences and terrible fallout. Richard Clifford explains it this way. This well-known saying contrasts the judgments that people make of their paths. Or the word path or way is a course of life and their actual outcomes. Path is the metaphor for human conduct and straight or right is the metaphor for honest and good. The word end in wisdom literature often means the outcome in light of which the whole can be evaluated. Its end indeed shows the rightness of a path, but only God can see the end at the beginning. Isn't that the truth? Human beings, we judge only what is directly in front, but cannot see what further down the road holds. We can't see the future. We, we just see what's right in front of us. We can anticipate, we can try to surmise what the future holds, but how many recognize? We had no idea in 2020 that we were all gonna have to change the way we lived. How many really knew that? Of course we didn't. We can't see the future. We don't know the twists and turns of life, and that's why it's so important that we know the one who knows the future that we have confidence that he knows what is best for each and every one of us. Tremper Longman says the proverb deals with human perception versus reality. What seems the right path of life may well turn out to lead to dire consequences. The proverb calls on the wise to constantly question and evaluate their life path. I love this. You see, I don't think it's just I make one choice and that's the end of it. No, every day I'm evaluating how I'm treating people. Every day I'm evaluating whether I'm walking and embracing the values of God and that's affecting how I'm making decisions for my life. You know, it's interesting how this text is developed or illustrated in the next two verses. What outwardly may seem to be a happy or joyful person may simply be a mask hiding great pain. Listen to what Proverbs 14, 13 says. Even in laughter the heart may ache and rejoicing may end in grief. Once again, we're reminded that what we physically see may not be the actual reality. We don't see into the hearts of other people. That's the truth. You know, what may appear as a happy existence may be, not be what's transpiring at the very core of that person's soul. And we're always and constantly making decisions based on what we see. Many people use humor to mask the pain in their lives. How many know that's true? You know, they don't want to take life seriously because for them it's far too painful. And it's kind of a form of escapism. They don't want to deal with reality. This is not to suggest that humor is not valid or good. We need to learn to laugh at ourselves and not take ourselves too seriously. I think that's the healthy part of humor. But sometimes some people are just so wounded and hurting 
that they use humor as a way of expressing themselves. Richard Clifford relates that laughter and sadness can coexist. In the second part of the proverb, we see one emotion following the other. People are very complex. And outward emotions are often not the whole story, and emotions are certainly fleeting. One thing we know for sure, the party ultimately does come to an end. At the conclusion of life's course, there's grief. And then we have this warning in verse 14. It says, the faithless will be fully repaid for their ways, and the good rewarded for theirs. This proverb, Dr. Walkie points out, which is connected with verse 13 by the catchword leb, which is the Hebrew word for heart, relativizes the end of the present fleeting joy in this world by pointing beyond that end to a final retribution. In other words, we need to understand something that the decisions we're making certainly have consequences and they also have ultimate consequences in our lives. By pointing beyond that to the, uh, he goes on to say, in spite of present heartache and the grief that follows joy, and that sometimes happens in our lives, even as followers of Christ, a disciple must press on in faith, fully expecting the Lord to reward the good and to punish the faithless. In other words, though we may not experience justice on this planet, and folks, there's a lot of people who've lived their life with total injustice, and that's the truth. And we could study history. I could point out illustration after illustration of people who have lived an entire lifetime oppressed and living in injustice. One thing we need to know, that there's a just God and justice will be rendered but not always in this life. And that's something we need to keep in mind. Now decisions always have consequences. And I know a lot of people who you know, chat with me over the years and have shared a lot of regret over some of the poor decisions they've made and some of the terrible consequences that came as a result. But would that necessarily, uh, you know, they say if I could just do something over again, I'd do it differently and maybe that would have different outcomes. But I wanna share a thought with you. You know, choices are actually a reflection of our heart condition. Sometimes we're saddened because we don't like the consequences. What God is trying to do is work on our character because the right character produces the right kind of choices, which eventually produces the right kind of outcomes. So what kind of a person are we becoming? How are we going about making these decisions? What's the aim of our decisions? The decisions we are making is a reflection, I've already said, of the kind of person we are or we are becoming. And how do we go about making decisions? What voices are influencing our choices? So what should this tell us, these Proverbs? We should carefully consider the path we're walking on and the choices we're making. People who easily dismiss their impulsive actions are often not aware that those decisions can sometimes have a lifetime of consequences. How many people have done stupid things not thinking and eventually it's caused a lot of pain? Wise is the person who is reflective and considers ramifications before acting. Those who are truly wise look to God for direction. Now look at verse 15. The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. You know, I love this word prudence. It actually comes from a Latin word meaning to see ahead. And it's the ability to govern and discipline ourselves by use of reason and good judgment. I like that. And so how do we acquire that? 
Well, you see, the book of Proverbs is if you study these Proverbs, they're going to give you that kind of discernment, understanding, knowledge, and insight. They're going to teach you prudence. They're going to give you this ability to think before you act, you know, to think before you speak. Those are important thoughts. Every decision we make impacts our future. And you know, the choices we're making today are going to impact our tomorrow. Now, we can't undo what's already been done. How many of that's true? That's water under the bridge, as they say. But you and I can actually change, change the course of the river if we'll make the right choices today. It's so important that we start saying, you know what, I want to make godly choices. You know, as I was reflecting on this, I was thinking of the Lord's Prayer. Isn't it amazing? Jesus taught us how to pray. And one of the things he said in his prayer to us to teach us how to pray as we're saying this prayer, acknowledging that God has his rightful place in our life. And one of the things in that petition is simply this, you know, give us this. He says, uh, I'm just thinking over it. Thy kingdom come. What's the next expression? Thy will be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done in me. God, could you help me today to do your will? Could you help me in this decision to do what you want me to do, what's right in your sight, to obey your ways? Help me to do what's right because I know that if I do it your way, the consequence is going to be a lot different than if I just do my thing. So a prudent person always investigates matters before making decisions or taking action. That's prudence. But let me move on to the second foundational aspect. I only have two points today. And, you know, if the first one is simply trusting in ourselves, the second one is just simply trusting in God. Isn't that simple? You either trust yourself or you trust God. You're either saying, God, I want your will, or you're saying, I want my will. It comes down to that. And what we find earlier in Proverbs is the idea of learning to discern the wisdom that comes from God. Our trust shifts from ourselves to him. This is where we now find practical expression to guide us in this walk of faith rather than making decisions based on human knowledge alone, ours or others. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 3. I, I know a lot of us know these verses, but I don't know if we've really thought about how they play out in our lives. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In other words, don't look to yourselves to make these decisions alone. It says, in all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight or make them right. Another translation says he'll make them smooth. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Okay. So how do we know that we're trusting in God rather than trusting ourselves? That's a good question. How do I know this? By the way I live. By the way you live. It's shaped by the values we glean from God's word. When we embrace God's worldview, when we embrace God's value system, when we do things that we know are pleasing to God because we know God's attitude towards things. Let me give you an example. I think a lot of us, you know, we can become very mystical when it comes to decision making. You know, we're, we're trying to get a, you know, a sense of direction from God and we're praying, we're wondering what to do. I want to just help us to say this. What we need to learn how to do is every day spend time in the word of God and with, in the presence of God Asking God to give us insight, studying the word of God, understanding the nature of God, who he is, his personhood, what God values, and let that stuff download into our soul, okay? Now you say, why is that important? 
Think about this for a minute. If I know that I'm to love my neighbor as myself, isn't that what the scriptures teach me? That when I'm making a decision, I have to keep that frame of reference in mind. So I'm saying to myself, I need to treat this person as if they were myself. How would I want to be treated in this situation? How many know when you start operating from that parameter, all of a sudden you're, you're, the way you're going to deal with that person is a lot different than if you're just focusing on, on what you want? Can, how many are starting to understand you're, making, you're already starting to make decisions differently just based on having the character and the mind and heart of God and the values of God at work in your life? It says to be wise or to fear the Lord means that what we're going to do is going to be right in the eyes of God. And whenever we disregard what God has to say and do what we think is best for ourselves, it leads to consequences we have never considered. You know, one of the things that I've learned as I've gotten a little older is some decisions I made when I was younger, I had no conception of the far-reaching consequences of those decisions. How many older people can say that's true? So we, when we're young, we're ready to just take on the world and make all these snap decisions. But we don't recognize you know, the ripple effect of every decision we're making. As we get older, we say, maybe we had better slow down because you know, the last time I made a decision like this, this is some of the outcome. You know, now I've got to think about this a little more before I make this decision. But listen to what Proverbs 14.2 says. Whoever fears the Lord walks uprightly, but those who despise him are devious in their ways. Now, Derek Kidner, Old Testament scholar, says this, his understanding of this text, he writes this. Every departure from God's path is a pitting of one's will and a backing of one's judgment against God. But the contempt what it spells is too irrational to acknowledge. In other words, he's basically saying, you know, when you and I make a decision and we just, you know, negate what God has to say and do our own thing, that's really irrational in our minds. Because what we're basically saying is we're wiser than God. And listen to what Isaiah says to us. God's ways are so far above our ways his thoughts so far above our thoughts, it's, it's like the distance between heaven and earth. I mean, so how many here would like to have a great advantage and say, I really want the mind of Christ. I really want to understand the way God sees the situation. And we find beautiful texts in the book of Philippians where he explains to us, let this mind be also in you as was in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, didn't maintain his rights, but submitted himself to the Father's will, humbled himself, became a human being, and surrendered some of his divine prerogatives, such as being everywhere at one time and knowing all things. He surrendered some of his attributes, his what I would call his non-moral attributes, and became a human being and was willing to suffer for the sake of others. And whenever you and I take on the nature of Christ and we humble ourselves and we do what's in the best interest of another person, maybe even at the expense of ourselves, are we not becoming more godlike in that, in that way? One of the great tragedies is that there are people who talk the talk in the Christian life but don't walk the walk. Isn't that true? And that's a great discredit to the name of God, but it's also a blemish to the church of God. Some people have a form of godliness, but they're not living according to God's word. If there was ever an example of this, it's found in the life of King Saul in the Old Testament. Here was a man that God chose. Here was a man that God anointed. Here was a man that God said he even changed his heart. Here was a man that God had called to do a great task. And yet we constantly see Saul 
reflecting a certain deficiency in his life. Saul's actions many times seemed to be outwardly compliant, but inwardly there was a lack of real heart desire to please and obey God. And we see it over and over again. I'll give you two quick examples of this. You know, Saul was continuously and deeply affected by outward circumstances. And the first story I think of is uh, when Saul was to confirm the kingship to Saul, Samuel was, I'm sorry, he set up an appointed time to meet him, but there was a problem. The Philistines were attacking, his men were slipping away. Samuel said, I'll be there in seven days. And when Samuel hadn't arrived on the seventh day, Saul just took things into his own hands. Now, Samuel came on the seventh day. It was just later. But how many know our timetable and God's timetable never seems to be the same? We always feel God's late. I've I've felt like that at moments. But I recognize God's timing is impeccable. But because Saul was rash and impatient, he took upon himself the role of a prophet and he slaughtered and sacrificed you know, these, an animal was offering it to God when Samuel shows on the scene. And, you know, it's really interesting, Samuel's uh, response to him in 1 Samuel 13, in verse 13, he says, you've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You've not ke- kept the command the Lord your God gave you. I want you to just think about that for a minute. So what's the core issue here? You haven't been obedient. Do you know what the difference between David and Saul really was? It says, David was a man after the heart of God. And why was he a man after the heart of God? Because he did what God asked him to do. Obedience is critical, and it reflects what's going on in our hearts. He says, if you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. You know, remember... The meaning of being a fool is someone who does not fear God and lacks wisdom. This is a person whose course of life is determined by human understanding rather than trusting in God. So what Samuel is revealing to us here is the condition of Saul's heart. Saul was always more concerned about what was happening around him. Saul was fearful. He was was afraid of what was happening. He was afraid of the circumstances he was in. And certainly it was a fearful circumstance, but his heart was not right with God. He wasn't trusting God. Folks, can I just tell you, when our heart's right with God, we have courage. When our heart's right with God, we walk by faith. And you know what? We're not living in discouragement. That's a lack of heart. But we're living in encouragement. We have heart and we have confidence in God. And we know that God is greater than the outward circumstances we're faced with. That is so critical. And Saul lacked that in his life. And then a few chapters later, we once again see the condition of Saul's heart. God now speaks to Samuel and says, Go tell Saul to destroy the Amalekites because they didn't support my people when they were coming into the land. So eventually Saul goes out and they beat the Amalekites, but he doesn't do what Samuel had told him to do. And then we pick up the story in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel and verse 13. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. I've obeyed this time. Uh, what's that bleeding of sheep I hear? You know, like, did you really do everything you were supposed to do? And look at verse 22. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice? You know, Saul says, oh, no, no, we kept all these sheep because we're going to offer them to the God. He says, listen, God's not interested in your ritual. God's not interested in your sacrifices. 
as much as in obeying the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed or listen. And that idea is to obey is better than the fat of rams. So God is not interested in outward conformity to the word of God, but he's interested in our hearts, listening, responsive, delight, and desire. You see, you know, this morning I got up, I was working in my devotions, first line in my devotional time, I just said, Lord, you are my delight and my desire. And that's true. God is the ultimate delight of my soul. God is the ultimate desire of my heart. That's what God is interested in. He wants, he wants us completely. He wants us to, to love him as much as he loves us. He wants us to, to love him with, a, with a, an incredible heart, to say, Lord, I just want to do what you want me to do. And then it says here in verse 23, for rebellion is like the sin of divination. What's that mean? Divination. He was trying to determine the future. You know, when you and I just do our thing, it affects our future. We're, we're trying to manage our future. You know, one of the issues about control is that we're trying to, you know, make sure the future, we're trying to make sure our future's secure. Can I tell you, your future is only secure when you're trusting God. That's the only place of security. And arrogance like the evil of idolatry, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. When we determine apart from God what we want, apart from trusting in him and determining his will, our willfulness is actually a state of arrogance on our part, and we're worshiping something other than God. And there's always consequences to willful decisions. Saul's response is interesting. I have sinned. But please honor me before the elders of my people. What's Saul concerned about? What others are going to think of him? Come back with me so that I might worship the Lord. I think this is telling. You're God. It's not my God. You're God, Samuel. You know, he's just trying to maintain an image. He knows that he needs the support of Samuel as the prophet of God to maintain the loyalty of the people. Wow. Is that ever challenging? Fools are easily deceived because they have the wrong source to gaining understanding. They're depending upon themselves. It says here in 14, verse 8, the, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Now, it's kind of an interesting text because we think that maybe the fool is trying to deceive others, but the reality is, the best way to interpret this is that they're actually fooling themselves. Isn't that sad? Self-deception. That's one of the great tragedies in life. So many of us, we think we know what we're doing, but in reality, we're in a state of self-deception and how tragic that really is. So what is the course of our life? How are we to make decisions? Isn't that a great question? Because I've been talking about that. Our decisions affect our future. Our decisions have consequences. How do I make these choices? I'm influenced by all the things that are coming into my life. That's why I need to make sure I'm letting God influence me. That's what I'm trying to tell you today. Are you hearing it? If you're just listening to the voices of the culture, you're going to be deceived. If you're just listening to the voice of people around you, you might be deceived. Are you listening to the voice of God? Are you hearing what God's value system is? Are you hearing what God has to say? Let me move on here and just say this. The wise fear the Lord and they shun evil. They avoid it. 
but a fool is hot-headed and yet he feels secure. Isn't that amazing? Here's somebody that, you know, still thinks that everything's okay even though they're doing their own thing. He said that's how blinded people get. Though love and faithfulness, I says through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. A walk of faith is a walk where we live a godly life, a life like God. We demonstrate his characteristics of unfeeling love and truth, not just external conformity to religious standards or activities. We began this journey looking at Abraham, the father of those who are faithful, which is really another name for those who are wise according to the wisdom literature here. Abraham made a choice not based on what he saw, but on what God said. What am I trying to tell you? If you're gonna walk by faith, you have to base your life on what God says, not on what you see. How many see a little difference there? Can you see it? I'm basing my life on what God says, not on what I see. That's what it means to walk by faith. I'm basing it, I'm responding to it, I'm obedient to it, and here's the beautiful thing. What, see, the world says, show me and I'll believe. The believer says, I believe, and therefore, I now see it. You have to believe first, and then God shows it to you. It's amazing. That's how faith works. Abraham trusted God, and God spoke to him. He walked according to God's will rather than his own. That's the life that God calls all of us as his children to walk. And let me tell you, it's more enduring, it's more prosperous, it's more successful, it's a more blessed life. You know, when I was a student in college many years ago, I read Elizabeth Elliot's book, In the Shadow of the Almighty. You say, who's Elizabeth Elliot? Well, back in the 1950s, her husband and four other young men were martyred in the Ecuadorian jungles because they were bringing the gospel to a people who had not been exposed to the outside culture. So obviously they didn't know who these people were. They felt threatened and they killed them. Newsweek magazine picked up the story and immediately this became a very significant story. A movie was made about uh, Jim Elliott and his four friends who were bringing the gospel. His wife was actually in Ecuador at the time, not with them on that particular venture into the jungle. In his journey years before, and she, she basically, his wife, begins to tell the unfolding story of the kind of person Jim Elliott was and why he made the decisions he did and why he was willing to give up his life. And this is what he wrote in his journal. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. What did he mean by that? He basically said this, he's not a fool who gives what he cannot keep. You know what you and I cannot keep? This life forever. We, we can't keep our earthly life. But he said, to gain that which he cannot lose. What kind of a life was he believing for? This eternal life with God. You see, if your life is all set for what you have here, let me tell you something, it's gonna go by real quickly. You might have 30 years, you might have 50 years, you might have 70, 80, maybe 90 years, and if maybe a very few people might get 100 years, but then it's over. But you know something, when you and I put our faith in God and we trust in Him, God's life 
comes within us, and that life is eternal. And you and I become eternal, and we will be with him forever. What a powerful thing that really is. He understood that he, Jimmy Elliot understood that he was a pilgrim on this earth, directing his course of life according to his father's will. Who will you look to in directing you? Will it be your will or God's will? Will you walk by faith or make decisions determined by earthly standards and circumstances? There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Are you walking by faith? Are you walking by sight? Let's stand. I would shout from you, from every ounce of my being, I would scream to you, you're a wise person if you walk by faith. You will never regret doing, obeying, choosing God's way. You'll look back in life and you'll say, thank God I followed him. I can see his hand upon my life. I can watch how he's guided me through all kinds of challenging circumstances. How powerful is that? But there's so many people I talk to as a pastor over, you know, almost 40 years as a pastor now. And I just look at their lives and so many people have made bad decisions. And yes, even people who started out well have veered off course. That's why we have to be prudent. We've got to keep checking our steps. Am I spending time with God? Am I getting to know him? Am I walking in his value system? Am I making decisions based on who he is and on what he says? Am I seeking every day to say, Lord, what's your will today? Because you know, when you make all those little decisions, they start adding up to be a life. Things become habitual. You know, sometimes, you know, when you're making decisions, it's amazing how quickly you can come up with the right decision when you've been filling your soul with the right stuff. It just oozes out of you. You know, you're, you're letting the life of God rule and reign in your life, and it becomes far easier to make the right decisions, which affect your days and the lives of others. So I'm going to give you an opportunity today. Maybe you're listening, and, uh, you know, we have that little thing. They'll bring it back at the end of the presentation here. They'll say, if you want more information, if you would like to start walking by faith, you want to choose God's way, let us know. We're here to help you do that. That's what this is all about. You know, we're not here to entertain you. We're not here to please you. We're here to help you. Sometimes that's different. Sometimes we have to be warned. Sometimes we have to be challenged. Sometimes we have to be corrected. I need that in my life. Sometimes we need to be encouraged, inspired. But today we have a choice. Are we going to do it my way? You know, Frank Sinatra sang that song, I'm going to do it my way. I'm arguing against that. I want to do it God's way. I want to follow his way. I want to do his will because I know that's the right path to be on. That sets the course of a life. And so maybe you're here today and you've maybe deviated from the path. I'm inviting you to step back on. Just say, Lord, forgive me. I want to do your will. God will hear that cry of your heart. He'll forgive you. And he'll restore you. And he'll renew your life. And 
I believe he can even redeem the years that have been destroyed because of bad decisions. God may not eradicate every consequence, but God will redeem it. God will turn it around, and God will use things out of that for good in the future. I believe that. So let's pray today. Father, I just want to thank you that your word is so rich. It's so invigorating. It inspires. It instructs. It corrects. It warns. It challenges. It gives us insight, Lord, in how to make wise choices. I think of our young people right now. Many are graduating, and they're looking forward to their future. Lord, help them not to just walk in their own counsel or in their own way of thinking. Lord, may they surrender their life to you and make decisions based on what your word teaches, based on your value system, based on your will for their lives. And Lord, when we do that, we don't live in sorrow and bad consequences and regret. Father, I just pray today that you would do such a profound work in our hearts. At the end of the day, it's not what I'm looking and not what we're seeing on the outside. It's what you are seeing on the inside of us. You're seeing the condition of our souls. You're seeing our heart condition. And I just pray today that hearts right now will line up with you. People will be drawn to you, Father. People will say, you know what? I'm going to know God. I'm going to get to know him. I'm going to surrender my life to him. I'm going to discover who he is. I'm going to get into this book called the Bible that's really a love letter from you to us giving us counsel. You're a father who wants to counsel us through this journey, through life, navigating through all of the pitfalls until one day we are with you in that amazing city whose builder and maker is you yourself. And we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave today.